What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Hey, what's going on, No Bad Dog Army? Thank you again so much, as always, for listening to this podcast. This is something I do absolutely for free, and I can't thank you enough for... I'm thanking you because um, a lot of people have come up to me and they, they some of the people are starting to say your podcast before your videos, which means this podcast is helping a lot of people. It's one of the, do- it's I think the top dog training podcast in the country right now. So it's just amazing. Thank you guys so much. And thank you for helping your dogs. This is an amazing podcast with uh, a gentleman that has a dog that works a lot and the wife and kids are not as serious about owning a dog as they were when the dog was a puppy and he's struggling to to find balance on what can he do to make a change in this dog's life although he doesn't have a lot of time and what are the best things to do this dog is barking at the door uh jumping on people when they come in um just not overall just not listening so this is kind of like a reset um for this dog and their owner so this is a really great podcast and um i'm really excited about it uh you guys were doing a u.s tour as you know next month so make sure you get the tickets below if you want to come out and hang out as well as all of my courses are listed below and i'm going to be answering three of your dog training questions so make sure you listen to the end where i'm going to be answering your specific questions if you want me to answer your questions all you have to do is head over to the itunes review chart leave your review and your question in the question box or the review chart so anyway we're going to get into this podcast make sure you listen to the end and yeah enjoy hey tom hey how are you yeah, sure. So, saw some of your videos. Really, really nice stuff. Uh, Thank you. Seems like you're really good at what you do. So, I wanted to reach out because I, I have a five-year-old Labradoodle. Mm-hmm. And uh, just a quick background. I, I didn't. I didn't want the dog. My wife and son did. You know, you've heard this probably a million times. Oh yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, they're like, "Oh, we promised to take care of it," and I was like, "All right," you know, and then. I, the reason I bring that up is I wasn't probably that interested in the, you know, really making sure the dog was properly trained in the beginning. You know, I tried here and there, but it was like, look, you guys wanted the dog, you know, you're not, you know, and I was probably frustrated with them not walking them as much as he should, you know, they should have and, and, and all that. So it may have, it probably impacted, you know, um, his training because I wasn't fully vested in, and making sure he was properly trained. So like your mantra, right? Like no bad dogs. It's probably partially because of that. Um, he's okay. You know, he's generally fine, but what I have problems with is, um, he barks a lot. Uh, you know, he's, he sits, he could see outside the front front of the house. There's like windows. Yeah. And just like whenever there's like the post op post, you know, the post postman, the UPS, FedEx, they go. He goes nuts, mm-hmm. just like, and he's like scratching at the window. He's like, he's just going nuts, right? And like, I'm trying to work, and I mean, yeah, it stops after they're gone, but this happens like throughout the day. Uh, so that's one thing. If I if I can get uh, you know your advice on um, the second, there are three things. If if that's okay, the second thing is. You know, strangers in the house, it's just, 
same thing, right? You know, the doorbell rings. He starts going nuts. He starts running towards the door, barking. Um, if he doesn't know the person, barking, barking. He never bites them, but maybe he nips at them a little bit, but barking, barking, barking. So you can't get him to shut up if the stranger's in the house. Uh, so it's just it's annoying if we have friends over and he's not too sure. comfortable with them. Yeah. So he's just barking all the time. For some reason, like if it's younger kids or women, he, he seems to be maybe not as threatened. Okay. Like, like if my, my son's friends are over, like somehow he realizes these are younger kids, whatever, or women, that could be okay. But even even friends that have been here multiple times, he'll just keep barking at them. Like the friends will like pet, pet him and he'll be okay for a little bit while he's getting petted. And then bark, bark again. So, so it's annoying. Like we can't have like friends over or contractors. It's just it's just a, a constantly barking. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's related, right? Barking a lot, but both the first and second. And then the second, the third, last thing, uh, like you help on is when I'm walking him. You know, he's stopping a lot. Yeah, just uh, he's annoying, you know, just stopping, stopping. I'm like, hey, you know, I tried like this one, two, three thing. One, two, three, let's go. And I just drag him. But, um, you know, you can't walk a whole lot. You know, you can't walk far. It's just a lot of stopping and pulling. And yeah, I use this, um, this like harness leash. It goes over the head and it, it straps from underneath, his, you know, his mm-hmm. stomach. I don't know if you've seen, you know, I'm talking about like mm-hmm. a. I think yeah. it's called like easy, easy walk or something like that. Yeah. I don't know if that's the best thing. Best thing. I don't know if, I don't know if you've got some kind of like collar that buzzes around. I'm not sure if I should be using that uh, for any of these uh, problems. So that's what I have. Okay. Yeah. Like you said, I think the first and, <clears throat> excuse me, the first and second one are, are pretty similar. What, um, how yep. much, how, first thing I want to ask is how much exercise does this dog get on the daily? Like what does this dog do for exercise? Yeah, I think that could be a problem right? <laughs> because I probably walk him like 20 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes during lunch, and then maybe like 30, 30, 40 minutes at night. Okay. Yeah, I mean, like if I'm, if I'm, if I'm at home, if I'm working from home, but if I'm like in the city, I, he doesn't get a whole lot. Okay. Like my, again, my wife, my wife and son, they don't. They don't like walking him. They put him in the backyard. He runs around a little bit. Yeah, that's about it. That's what I. That's what I think a lot. I. I, I mean, if I could give you a percentage, I would say that um, at least forty percent of this is lack of mental and physical stimulation. So that's a big part yeah. of it. You know, it's like uh, hiring a <clears throat> somebody to help you lose weight, and they're like, "Well, if you don't plan on exercising, this is going to be very difficult." It's not all of it. You got to eat right too, but. You know, that's a big piece yeah. of it is just making sure that the dog is getting enough uh, stimulation because I think dogs in general, uh, you know, every breed is different and even every dog of that breed is different. It kind of just continues to fork out, you know, like a family tree. And so dogs just like having a job. They like doing stuff. They like having some sort of fulfillment in life. That's why they, they were created in the first place. The first dog was created to say, Hey, I think you can help around the farm, you know? Um, and then other dogs are bred to do certain things. So that's the first thing I would say is understanding that 
a good piece of this is making sure that the dog is fulfilled because it sounds like he's just got nothing else to do is my point. He's bored. So somebody, yeah. so mailman walks by Amazon driver, uh, whatever. He's yeah. like, Oh, finally, get out of here. Go to this. Right. So there's just all of this. I got it. This is finally something to do today. So that could play a role for sure. Yeah. Um, so just be mindful of that. And I think, my biggest recommendation as far as exercise is understanding that dogs need just as much, if not more mental stimulation than they do physical. So again, letting the dog out back and running around the yard that they've been running around for five years is not, is not enriching to them by any means, right? It's kind of like the same drive to work for the last five years. You kind of zone out the entire way because there's nothing new. So there's that 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 mental stimulation of getting the dog to do obedience and just giving them a test. So when I say mental stimulation for the average pet owner, test your dog, give them a mental test, say, Hey, sit, I'm going to throw a ball. You have to sit until I break you. Like that's a challenge. We'll talk about Mm -hmm. that in a minute, but that's the first thing I would say. Like if you came in, you said, Hey, my dog barks at everything. I'm working a lot. Wife and kid doesn't, they don't, you know, they, they love him, but you know, they're not really invested into helping him become less anxious. I would say, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, bring you 30%, but the other big percentage is making sure at home that these things are, are taken care of. So there's that. And then, you know, the other thing that I will talk to myself about for a second is just understanding that, okay, somebody comes to the door, doorbell goes off, somebody walks by, somebody knocks, your dog hears something, your dog sees something. There's, again, the idea of they're bored, they got nothing else to do. It's the highlight of their day. (laughs) Uh, And then the other thing is, is just what would you want your dog to do alternatively? And that's why I'll answer it. It's like, well, I don't want my dog to bark when people come over or if my, my son has friends over or if you have company or contractors over. Obviously, the simple answer is don't bark. But you have to be fair about that is you have an animal with four legs with a prey drive and not an old animal, not a puppy, but you know, a middle-aged dog that's got energy that is kind of bored and doesn't really get a lot of fulfillment and doesn't really get a lot of mental exercise. The amount of physical exercise you're doing is, is good. I mean, that's, that's good. I'm, I'm really happy to hear that he's getting that because that means you're committed and that's great. And, that, and your dog will forever, you know, be be thankful for that because I think things would be a lot worse if you weren't walking this dog. And I'm sure when you're gone on business, it's it is worse. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, yeah, I try to do it for myself. I try to get like ten thousand yeah. steps. You know, for it's myself great. too. Yeah. No, it's great. Yeah. And again, man's best friend. You know that that's why dogs are they mold into our life so well is because they they help us become a better person. I think so. Again, there's the mm-hmm. idea of. Well, what else do you want your dog to do? Well, again, your dog lives in this cocoon of a house in a backyard with family that he loves. And, you know, when somebody comes and rings the doorbell, your dog's going to go, somebody's here. So that's where the barking comes in. It's an alert bark. Somebody's here. Run to the door to investigate. Um, and the barking is happening. And so what do we – well, we – when somebody comes to the, the dog knows that it's a conditioning thing. The dog knows that the doorbell means somebody, somebody's there. So it would be weird if the doorbell went off and our dogs just walked the other way, 
it would be weird if the doorbell went off and our dogs just looked at the door. I think that that would be unrealistic. The What you really should be focusing on, like human psychology, is when kids want to run across the parking lot to get to Disney faster, that's inevitable. That's not going – you can't change that roadmap of the kid being excited that Mickey Mouse yeah. is right there. Dogs are very similar. They're not going to be able to be like, I don't care somebody's here. That doesn't mean anything to me. That's not going to happen. So it's about two things. It's about what do you want your dog to do realistically alternatively? And how much have you practiced that in real life? And so again, with kids, it's, I know we're excited guys, but you need to hold my hand and wait for mom and dad until we can get across the parking lot. It's, this is what I know you... Somebody's at the front door, but this is how you need to behave to be safe and successful. And so for me, and again, I know this is not what you want to hear because a lot of dog owners just want to hear like, how do I flip this switch off? And it's not that easy. It's going to take a little bit of work in order for the dog to understand what they should be doing differently. So it would be somebody comes to the front door realistically. Like, so if somebody came to my house I wouldn't expect if somebody rang my doorbell or opened my garage door for my dog to go, eh, I don't care. She's always going to care. She's a dog. But if they come in and I say, I'll tell my dog, go to your place, you know, your bed, and she'll go, Zoop, and I'll say, stay. So then that person can come in, whether it's a contractor or it's whatever. Family, doesn't matter. I have the obedience and the control to say, hey, hold my hand with mom and dad as we walk across this busy parking lot, and then you can see Mickey. So that's kind of like the goal is somebody comes over, Lakota, go to your place, down, stay, right? And she stays there. She it's, it's, it's compulsion training, technically. So we're telling the dog to do something they don't want to do. We're forcing them with my words, go here. Yeah, but mom's here, dad's here, grandma's here. So that's something that you should be working on is just understanding between you and your family. Like, Hey, we're always going to be excited that somebody's here, but we need to start teaching this dog to go to a bed or go to a place. You got to teach the dog to go to a targeted area on command because that's the alternative. So there's that. So the place command is a very easy thing to teach, but it's going to go in increments. There's let's say three levels, beginner, intermediate and kind of medium distraction and then the real deal of somebody ringing the doorbell and your dog going to the place so that's a whole thing in itself the other thing is like what you could start like what i would do like if you said hey come to my house and show me how to do this it it would be simple i'd say okay cool let's get the slip leash on because i want to hold the dog accountable and i want to teach the dog what's appropriate and what's not right so being very very um, confident and also assertive with our dogs is what's going to teach them the fastest. So again, I always kind of go on human behavior because it's easier for us to digest. We have a glass right here, right? So we have this glass full of milk and our kid goes up to dump it on another person and we're watching this happen. We would, as uncles, aunts, parents, teachers, whatever, we would come up and grab that kid's hand before that milk is dumped all over that innocent person sleeping. We'd say no. So the assertiveness of stopping it and correcting it right when it happens is the only way that you're going to not only stop the milk being dumped, or in this case, the dog barking, 
But then it gives us an opportunity to say, this milk actually goes here, <laughs> not on somebody's head. So this is how we behave. So I'd put a slip leash on. What's your dog's name? Tanner. Tanner? Yeah. I like that. Tanner. That's a good one. So Tanner gets a slip leash on. It's nice and snug right behind the ears. I have some treats in my pouch. Tanner's excited. Ding dong. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Tanner runs to the front door, right? Mm-hmm. And then barks. And I would correct the behavior, right? Leave it. Correction. And then, again, the correction is the thing. Wh- whatever we use, you know, whether it's a slip leash or it's a prong collar or it's a – it doesn't matter. That's not as important. You'll figure out what works for you and your dog as you go, and that's what you use. You use whatever works. So we correct the behavior when the dog exhibits that bad be- – you know, again, the milk's getting uh, – uh, correction, right, when the dog barks. And then as that situation is playing out – the two seconds after the correction as your dog stops barking is one of the most important times to teach. So let's say you have you know, a glass door or glass where your dog can see out. Your dog is barking, rawr, boom, correction. The dog snaps, at, snaps out of it, looks at you like, what the hell, right? One, two, bang, they get paid. Good, leave it. The dog looks at that person, leave it, and then they look back at you, bang, good, leave it. So the dog has this aha moment of, and of course, that's a perfect world. It's like, oh, wow. And I've done it. I've done it many times on camera, and we've had a lot of great success with that, teaching people how to do it on YouTube and stuff. But being able to correct that behavior and then having that floating moment of, well, what do I do? Boom, and then a treat gets popped in their mouth or whatever they like. And then they learn that this, they're like, oh, this is much better. You mean if I do this, this is what gets me paid? And you're like, absolutely, this is what gets you paid. And so, again, if I came over to your house, I'd say, hey, why don't you guys not feed Tanner breakfast this morning? And and I'm going to come over with some beef liver or some roasted chicken or whatever. Put the slip leash on. Ding, dong, correction. The dog snaps out of it. What the hell is that? Leave it at the same time. The dog, leave it, bang, at the same time before it starts to bark again. The dog kind of, you know, slumps out of this like, well, what do I do? Boom, they get paid. They're hungry. They're excited. And then you start, that's where you start teaching. That's where the teaching happens, where where then you say, okay, knock again. Dunk, dunk, dunk. The dog looks. Boom. Yes, good, leave it. You pay the dog again. And they go, oh. So again, my point to you is understanding that your dog isn't just going to somebody's here. I don't care and walk away unless they're the senile dog that, you know, starts to kind of not hear well and just gives up on like this job, you know, because again, a lot of this is happening because the lack of mental stimulation. So as the dog gets older, their mental stimulation requirements are going to decrease, which means they're not going to be as fired up to want to do something. So they may not just care. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so that, so that the two things are, well, realistically, yeah, your dog's going to bark when people are over. What are you going to do about it? Well, I I want my dog to not bark. Well, that's not just going to happen. You have to say, I want you to go to your bed or you have to hold the dog accountable and kind of walk through the situations of this is how I want you to behave. It's not a abracadabra type thing. It's, it's teaching the dog through conditioning you know, we're punishing the behaviors we don't like. We're rewarding the behaviors that we do like. 
And over time, if we're clear and we're timely, the dog's going to go, oh. Now, the other side to that is, is understanding that not all dogs will get it that fast. And sometimes they will be opportunistic where they're like, all right, I'm not going to bark when the leash is on or I'm not going to bark when you're around. And and I know that that's usually a conversation that we have after I tell you how to do this. But again, I would just encourage you to understand that your dog's probably just bored and the more stimulation that he gets in general will decrease a lot of this, I got to go to work. So any questions on that so far? The slip leash, right? It's just a, a regular loop leash. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, it's a regular loop leash with a stopper. So um, I, I would say that when you get your um, – slip leash like we sell them we're out of stock right now i'm trying to get him back in but we sell them and the leash just goes nice and snug right behind the dog's ears um and and the stopper on it has to not move so a lot of leashes you'll get in stores will have like a leather stopper so you slide that down and then it becomes very um frail and it kind of just gets loose and then it doesn't stay in place so we have a stopper that has this spring and you like basically like a like if you had a rain jacket you would push and pull the things it's like that um but okay. but essentially having the slip leash in place right there and again this is what i would do fast the dog in the morning which means they're going to be really hungry and motivated to work for food slip leash on ring the you know have your kid go around ring the doorbell bar leave it boom bar leave it ring the doorbell no bark yes good leave it and but again don't wait for, for say like, oh, all of our friends are coming over on Saturday at five. Let's work on this. When you're teaching dogs not to do stuff, it's the equivalence to teaching an athlete how to perform in a game, okay? There's a lot of development. There's a lot of practice, right? Practice, 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 practice. And then when the game comes, the dog's like, ah, I know what to do. You know what to do. We've practiced this. So, so make sure as you're developing these things that you're doing it fairly realistically and incrementally to make sure that it's worst case scenario is, is you're going to get frustrated. It's not going to work. <laughs> so just make sure that you're, so again, you know, use your son as a, as a ploy, as a, as a distraction to say, Hey, I want you to go out, wait, you know, two minutes, ring the doorbell. And then you're out front and you just, you teach the dog very, again, very assertively what's right and what's wrong. No, yes, no, yes. And then if the, and again, this is where the equipment kind of comes in. And I think people get too overwhelmed and too focused on like, what are you using for equipment? It, the equipment is, is part of the process, but it, the applications of how we're teaching the fundamentals mm -hmm. of, of understanding that dogs aren't just going to stop doing primal things of caring about who's at the front door with, without, you know, work. So, um, that's where you know, maybe like a plastic pinch collar could come in, which basically gives you a little bit more surface pressure, um, which applies a, a cleaner, more precision uh, correction. The slip leash is like the entry level. If your dog is sensitive, your dog will do well with this. But oftentimes, well, I shouldn't even say that. I would say it's a 50-50 shot. Some dogs are like, Psh. so correction levels, right? We have punishment levels, right? S same thing with people. You know, if I'm late for work, 
um, and my boss just says, eh, you know, don't do it again, and it, they do that for years, then you're never going to – you don't care, right? You're just late for work, whatever. There's no punishment. There's no accountability. It doesn't exist. Sure. So every dog right. is di- – you know, so understanding that every dog is different in that sense – some dogs are more sensitive, some dogs are not, and um, it doesn't really have to do with size. It has to do more with the just the, the behavior of the dog, really. Okay. Yeah. So that's, yeah. that's in whole, um, you know, what I would start doing. And then it's kind of like one and two, like you said, are, are kind of the same thing as I would just – get the slip leash on and start working on this. And then say you worked on that for about a week. It's, imp- I just want to add some, some side notes here. No training is better than bad training. So as you're at work and your wife and your son are home and you're not making sure that the, the accountability part essentially is there is some sort of follow-up enforcement. If you, decide to just flip me off and blow me out like if you just decide to just say nah i'm not doing what you want you starting to hold the dog accountable will change a lot in the in the in a good way they're going oh but also if you're if you're not consistent with the accountability then the dog will become very what we call equipment aware which means if you're only using the slip leash to hold the dog accountable and that's the only time that that happens, your dog's only going to listen when that's on. It's the same fundamentals and spectrum as positive reinforcement. Is if your dog is only listening when that deli is attached to your hip, then it's you're kind of screwed. <laughs> so just making yeah. sure that my point is, is making sure that, it, you know, as a family and as a whole, if your family is not doing the things that you're doing and showing them, Again, then the dog will just say, I got to listen to dad and not these guys. So that's a conversation you'll have yeah. to have with them. Okay. Yeah. And then the last thing that you were talking about is um, the stopping on walks. So again, and I don't I, I don't think this of you, uh, but having a dog outside with all of these smells you know, dogs are animals, so they have hunt drives, they have prey drives, they have they have um, search and rescue. St- I mean, they have so much going on, you know, their nose and their mouth. And I mean, these are just machines, really. We, we kind of underestimate how, in- how interesting the dog can be of what they can do. And so when we're outside, we're not expecting, of course, the dog not to sniff and be interested in the earth and wildlife and things like that, it would be, again, kind of like a reflection of my dog stops on walks. What do you want your dog to do? Well, of course, I don't want my dog to stop. I just want to walk and my dog walks. So again, my rebuttal to you as a dog owner would be how well does your dog know heel, which traditionally heel is teaching the dog how to walk nicely on the leash on your left side at your heels, at your feet. And so if we want our dog to walk nicely on the leash, rather they're stopping or they're the other end pulling you, my question is always, great, that's a, that's that's fair. I don't want to be dragged by dogs. I don't want to be held up for 45 minutes as I'm walking. I just want to walk. But I can't expect a dog to walk nicely on a loose leash with four legs in slow motion 
without teaching them fundamentally how to do that. Because I think some people just assume because they've gotten lucky with other dogs or whatever that you put a dog on a leash and they just should should just walk next to you. And the, and again, they have four legs. We have two. They're animals. And to teach them to walk nicely with us is essentially teaching them to walk in slow motion, which is something they have to actively work on doing. Again, unless it's a small, older dog that just could care less. So my suggestion for you is to start teaching leash pressure, which will help with the heel. Now, leash pressure is something that we usually teach puppies, honestly, between eight to 15 weeks. I mean, we teach it pretty quickly and it's very, very simple. All it is, is essentially um, applying a little bit of pressure to the leash and teaching the dog how to shut that pressure off through compliance, if you will. Meaning if the dog is going one way and we apply pressure the other way and we kind of just hang on that top pressure and the dog then commits to us, it goes away and we reward them. And we teach them, hey, when pressure is applied to this leash, you have to do something different because you're going against the grain. You're going against me. And in order to shut this pressure off, you have to commit in whatever direction I'm asking you to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. That, simple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Easier said than done for sure. But that's, okay. but that's where you'd have to start developing uh, the heel command. You have to start teaching the heel and all you would do. And, and again, I'm going to, dumb this down. It's, it's, it's not as easy as I'm about to tell you, but essentially as you put the dog on your left side, you have your treat pouch or your reward on your right side or whatever. And you have some sort of collar that can hold the dog accountable if they decide to say like, I'm not doing what you want. So a slip leash or a martingale or whatever. And you just, the corrections are going to be small little pops, but you, you ask the dog, so you'd say Tanner heel and you'd walk in one, two, three steps. And then if the dog passes that that mark, you know, every every dog owner is different. But if the dog passes your legs, you would just pop the leash back and give the dog some sort of a correction. Kind of be the equivalence to when you're driving and you hit the, if you go off, you hit the rumble strip, does that. So you're, so that's a correction that we would live by and we would correct our wheel the other way and we'd try to stay off that. So that's essentially what you want to do is you want to pop the leash to correct the dog for for going forward. But the number one thing is understanding that you're only asking the dog to walk four steps and then you're verbally breaking the dog. So you're going to say break. So you're going to say pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, break. So then the dog can sniff. And then the, so my point is, is it's okay if your dog sniffs, but it has to be on your terms. Because then when you say, heal, time to work, pay attention, the dog has to walk nicely. And that will give you a better opportunity for the dog to understand what you want. And it, in my opinion, it'll be more clear and fair to the dog. Instead of just tugging the dog along, you can say, hey, I need you to heal. And then you can break. So there's going to be moments where you can give the dog a break to be a dog. Because when you're... Right. When you're out and you're walking, it's not realistic or, in my opinion, even fair to say, walk nicely next to me. That's it. You would say, walk nice. Okay, now break. And that's where you have that balance of, you know, math and recess. And then you just kind of bounce between those two things. 
Does that make sense? Got it. Yeah. So again, I'm going to paint a picture for you. If I came over to your house right now, you say, Hey, this is Tanner. We're going to go for a walk. Tanner's going to sniff and pull on these things. Slip leash, nice and snug. I'd have my treats. I'd have my leash down, nice and relaxed. I'd say Tanner heel. One, two, good chance Tanner's going to go kind of pull in front of me or behind me or whatever. So then I'm going to apply pressure and pop the leash until the dog kind of slides back into position. And once the dog slides into position, they get positive reinforcement verbally or sometimes externally with the food. So if they do really well, so if the dog is pulling and I go heel, pop, 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 and the dog like takes a step back and gets into position, good heel, bang, they get paid. So I'm teaching them this is where you need to be. And then what I'll do is I'll stop and I'll say break and I'll tell the dog to break. So I'll just work on, again, small little increments as I go, like one, two step break. And then as you, again, anything in life, doesn't matter what you're doing, you are developing increments. I want you to do two steps. By the end of the week, I want you to do a good 10 steps before I break you. And then you just keep getting better. That way, when that's not going to stop Tanner from necessarily sniffing and pulling. But when you apply pressure, Tanner's going to go, oh, I know what you want. And it also helps you develop how to apply pressure, just like we're talking about inside when the dog is barking, popping mm-hmm. that leash, let's go. But yeah, so that's kind of the general outline of the things that you can start doing to tackle the issues that you're having. That makes sense. Cool. I got to try that. Um, yeah, that that harness, I guess, you know, it attaches right by his, like, his chest. Yeah. yeah so it's probably not the best thing to use to, to correct. Yeah, I just, and again, I, I, I don't, I mean, just over the years of, you know, I'm a dog lover first. I've been on the floor with dogs before I could walk and then obviously an owner. So it's no benefit for me to give you false information to help my narrative. I just use so much and I've worked with so many dogs on so many levels that I try to isolate the things that are really effective and efficient with dog owners and the things that are not because that's my job. I'm a consultant, essentially. I'm a teacher. So for me harnesses first of all were invented for dogs to pull safer that's the goal but there's all sorts of um different types of harnesses nowadays just like anything else and when you have a front clip harness it does apply pressure and listen if you were to say hey my dog responds great to that that's what we'd be using but that's not what we're talking about doesn't work for your dog and it doesn't work for a lot of dogs because it's not it's not precision you're basically holding on and so when a dog pulls on a harness you're taking all of the ligaments and the the shoulder blades and the chest cavity which holds all the organ the vital organs the lungs and the heart and we're just yanking on that so for me you have to use a lot of power to just pull the dog back into position i would and i have over the 15 years i've been doing this every day i have found it easier safer more sustainable for dog owners to just put something snug right behind the dog's ears to use precision over the power that you'd have to use with a harness to yank a dog back into position. 
So mm-hmm. when, when a dog puts pressure on that slip, they yield to that pressure so much more because it's more sensitive in that area. Like a horse, if we were to wrap a harness around a horse and try to pull them one way, you would never be able to do it. But right. if you if you put the equipment in a place that the, the animal is more sensitive to and you're using – like think about a horse. They use all sorts of different head halties to apply pressure to them. Sometimes it's in the mouth. Sometimes it's not. But you just have you, – you have this – you have this animal that weighs the, the the size of a Volkswagen, the poundage, and we just flick our wrist back and the animal just go, walks backwards <laughs> or we go left and they, they yield to that so nicely. Yeah, yeah. And you have to be careful because if you're not good at what you're doing, you'll spin the horse in circles because they're so sensitive to that. So my point is, is it's the same thing with dogs. And it's not, I it's just something I've seen over and over and over again. And I, I think people get too, so the harness is not going to help communicate in a way that you would want. And there's other ways that you can do it. That's going to be safer and more effective. And you're going to see a difference because they just don't care about it. But if you want, if, if you're, if you're training a dog to pull and you want your dog to pull and you want to encourage and enable your dog to pull, the harness is a great option, but obviously that's not many people's uh, objective or goals, unless you're in the sled pulling business. (laughs) Right. Last question. So what do you suggest I do for the mental exercise? Great question. So again, think about a job. That's what you have to do. Like as you do this with your dog, it's going to be fun. It's going to be powerful in a sense of your dog finally has some fulfillment and like, yay, I get to work today. Um, basic stuff. So again, you're going to use your leash and you're going to use your environment that you're in. And it's just that mental stimulation and fulfillment is just a test. So the leash goes on. We're going to say Tanner sit. And this is where, I mean, I can start right here, right? We say Tanner sit. Tanner's like, nope, not sitting. Pressure comes up and then you put the rear end down. The dog sits. We say good sit. You can, that's, that's step one. You immediately go sit. The dog's like, no, you apply pressure. Then they, then they immediately start to have, think about what your dog, what Tanner does on the regular. And, and I'm take this with a grain of salt. So this may not be applicable to exactly this, but it's going to be applicable to something in this dog's life. So we say Tanner sit, Tanner hears you, Tanner knows sit, Tanner's like, I'm not sitting. You then immediately apply pressure that immediately starts to engage the dog's thinking things in the brain the mechanics whatever the dog goes whoa what's this what's going on so we apply pressure we put the dog goes into a sit we say good sit and all of a sudden you're like the dog starts thinking right the dog's like whoa what's going on here boom that's that's step one the dog's starting to actually put its mind into something useful the dog is actually starting to grind those gears of like oh what is this and there's step one step two would be standing straight back up at the dog at your left side, holding that sit, because I can almost promise you that once you put Tanner into a sit, he's going to get up in about four seconds. So once Tanner gets up, boom, pressure right back on, accountability, back into a sit. Tanner's like, what the? And some dogs will flip and flail and go, what? And they'll have a fit and they'll freak out. Some dogs not. 
But though that's the very first step of I want you to sit. The dog's like fine, and then they get up, and you put them back into a sit. So that's the very first step of not only giving the dog mental stimulation, but understanding that there's some sort of consequence, and you have to follow through on your on your terms. Okay, Tanner, sit. Pressures mm-hmm. pressures on. Tanner sitting. Break and you break him. Now he can be a dog, and you just kind of do that over and over again, and. To build the steps up from one to three would be, at this point, just duration. Tanner sit. Tanner sits down. Because a lot of dogs will just sit for a treat. So if you don't have a treat, they won't sit. And even if they do sit, once they eat the treat, they get back up. And the owners are like, look, my dog sat. I'm like, not really. (laughs) Your dog just kind of tapped you and ran away. So holding the dog accountable. So think about things like that. How can I test my dog? And then other things are like, so once you get that down where the dog, well, Tanner will sit until you release them verbally break. Okay, good. I can be a dog. Then you would go up and, 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 and do it a higher level. So you'd go up to the front door or side door or whatever. Tanner sit. Tanner's like, no, I don't sit. We're about to go outside. I'm excited. Boom. Pressure. Tanner's like, I have to sit here too. Thinking, 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 start to grind those things out, you know? So then Tanner sits you grab the door handle, Tanner gets up. Nope, back into a sit. So again, it's it's right again. Nope, got to think about this, man. You got to go into a sit. So these are the things that you would do to test the dog constantly to say, and, and then you'd, you'd grab the door handle, you'd open it. Good sit, break. So you just, you, so what? here's what'll happen. And, I, and this I can guarantee. Once you start doing this, your dog will start looking at you and go, is this okay or not? And that's something that many people don't have that they need. You need that. Like you, yeah. you can't, you don't want your dog to live this unfulfilled, unstructured life. It's miserable for them. They need jobs. They need tasks. They need filters. They need structure. They need something to do. And this is what ends up happening. The other thing that you can do, and the, and I, the other thing that you can do is just leash pressure. So you put Tanner on the left side, you're in your basement, you're in your garage, you're in your uh, driveway, somewhere where it's not too crazy. You, you you say Tanner heel, you walk out, you turn to go the other way, you say Tanner heel, Tanner goes this way, you go that way, pop, and you pop the collar. Tanner jumps up in the air or rides up in the air and, and comes towards you. You do it again. Soon as you go three steps as the dog's in that heel, you turn, heel, and then you know, maybe the dog doesn't respond, boom. And you this is called a tune-up or what I call a calibration. Pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention, pay attention. And then again, what will end up happening is the dog will start looking up like this. And the reason that is is because they're like, hey, if I don't pay attention to you, there's pressure, there's consequences. So that will start creating that engagement with you and your dog for the first time. We'll start looking at you for direction. We'll start looking at you for what are we doing next? And that's where dogs are the happiest. And it's a balance, right? Yeah, of course they love running around the field and rolling around in, in rabbit poop and chasing birds. But the other part of that, of what they, th- there's balance is, yeah, that's their play. That's their off. But they also need structure. They want a job. They want to report back to the person they love the most and do something for them. That's the most important thing to most dogs and oftentimes when you get dogs with lack of structure, lack of accountability predicated from the training that they've been through either from their owners or a training camp that doesn't believe in accountability, dogs are unfulfilled. They will 
drag out of that situation at the very moment that they possibly can. Um, they don't pay attention to their owners. They don't look at their owners, especially when the motivation is gone because they don't have the authentic, real, genuine relationship of, I need to look at you for direction. A lot of people predicate their relationship like that off of steak in their face, and it's not real. It's not It's not real, right? Like last night I made popcorn, my dog's sitting next to me. Imagine if I went over my wife, go, look, my dog loves me. I was love me, she wants a popcorn. Right? Right, it's not right. real, right? So anyway- yeah. So there's just a lot that goes into it, and and I find myself as a as a teacher and as an educator to, all, you know, all around this world study, watch, learn, always a student, what works, what doesn't, and that's what this consulting service is really about: is to say, hey, this is what I've been seeing. I've dedicated my whole life about this, and this is what's going on. And so that's what I would start with um, with you is just. Remember testing and get creative. Say, okay, um, what can I do today to test Tanner? Well, I'm going to get a ball, Tanner's favorite ball, and I'm going to do a place command. So Tanner, go to your place. Oh, I know what that is. Boom. Tanner, stay. Okay, we've been working on that. The ball gets thrown across the room. The dog gets off. Boom, correction. Tanner's like, what? Back to your place. Again, Mickey Mouse. Sit, stay. Got to listen. Hold my hand. Pay attention. You're not in charge. Right. I am, right? So then that that then shows impulse control and boundaries and respect. So Tanner goes to the place, sit, stay. You have the leash. The ball goes rolling across the floor. Tanner's sitting there focused on the ball, looks at you, looks at the ball, looks at you. Break, boom. Yes, got it. Ah, cool. Mm. So just having that is so crucial for dogs' mental psyche. Um, and you know, that I've just been developing so many dogs and changing relationships for the better. And it, almost every conversation I have with people, it doesn't matter if it's my dog is barking at the front door or my dog just attacked my wife. The first thing I look at is your foundation, you know, like, let me see the exercise and the foundation and your relationship. It's not about, it's very rare. The, the problem that people have on the outside is very rarely fixable without internally working on the problems of, wait a minute, your dog is biting people, but you can't walk down the road for two steps in a heel. I'm not even touching that yet. You got to work on the basics. So uh, anyway, mm. that's what I would do is just, you know, if you, if you, let's say you have an accumulation of an hour a day with this dog, I would spend half of it working on that mental stimulation because here's another tip for you. Mental stimulation will drain a dog much, much faster than physical stimulation. So getting a 15-minute test run in with your dog of trial and error and thresholds and impulse control and stop and goes is more fulfilling and draining than like throwing the ball for an hour for some dogs. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, because think think about it. Like dogs are animals and athletes and you run them for an hour and they're like – can we go four more, please? And you're like dead, you know? But that mental stimulation of can I can I constantly thinking, looking, watching, listening, like waiting for that moment is they're burning that energy up inside. So remember that that if you have some time with your dog, focus 50-50. Physical's huge. It's just as big. So don't write that off. I'm just saying spending you you can develop a really nice relationship with your dog with calm confident hey we're going to do a little bit of work we're going to put that slip on 
I'm going to put a treat down. I'm going to kick the treat when you're in a sit. And if you stay in that sit, I'm going to break you to that treat. And if you don't, you're going to get pressure. And then they will look at you and say, can I have that or not? And you say, yeah, you can. And they're like, yeah, cool. And that's how you start that. Most people do not have that. They So I just talked to a person. Here's, here's what you don't want to do, okay? <clears throat> I talked to a person just before this. And... And this is how a lot of, not a lot, but some training camps will train too and they'll teach is you have a dog into a sit-stay like we just talked about. You kick the treat, the dog gets up. Instead of correcting the dog for getting up, we just put him back. So I can't think of any point in life from an animal standpoint or even a human standpoint where that would teach the dog that that was wrong because we're just saying, hey, try it again try it again, try it again, try it again. But wait a minute. If if our goal is for the dog not to chase the treat, why don't we teach them that t- chasing the treat until they're released is, is bad and there's a consequence for it instead of just asking them to do it 10 times. And then oftentimes when people who train like that get to the end of their rope and their clients are looking at them like, hey, this isn't working, they just say to avoid it. And I've seen this happen quite often, unfortunately, is the dog just doesn't learn. We just, we take it away, take it away, take it away. Okay, this isn't working, avoid it. And reality sets in, if you just corrected it right there, the dog would go, oh, this is how to behave in this. And that's what you're dealing with is the dog's going to the door and barking. What are you doing about it? Not, Not much other than yelling, pulling the dog back, grabbing the collar, telling the person to wait, putting the dog in the other room. Just be just be very assertive with this is bad, this is good. So anyway, gotcha. yeah. One last thing. So the collar, should I use like that buzzing collar at all? Or <clears throat> no, I, I wouldn't. I because you don't the e collar in most applications is a cherry on top to your really great training, right? And that's something that I wouldn't recommend because. Just to me, like if you use the pager, the dog might stop barking, but the problem is, is your dog is bored and I would hate for you to not focus on the real problem because then your dog is unfulfilled and unhappy. And that's what I, you know, I started this whole journey in my career to make dogs happier by talking to you. (laughs) So if I can help your dog be happier, that's what I want to do. And the real problem here is lack of fulfillment and, and exercise and just not knowing what to do. And so, yeah, the pager will work. And, and oftentimes I use the pager and the, the vibrate of the collar in two scenarios. A, if it's dangerous and life-threatening, right? It's a liability. That's the intervention stage. And the other way is if the dog knows so much better and is saying, what are you going to do about it from a distance? That's You don't even have the very first steps to that. So it's not it's not something I would jump to. I would just say, this is an easy fix, but you haven't even begun the process yet. And once you do, you'll start seeing considerable changes pretty quick. I would just want you to do it the right way. Yeah, that makes sense. Amazing. Well, that's very insightful. A lot to uh, work on for me, but uh, I know now what to do. So appreciate all your your good expertise and uh, you know cool. your time. Cheers, man. Thank you. Right, good, thanks, l- good luck. All right. All right, you guys, you've reached the end of the podcast, which means I'm going to be answering three 
of your dog training questions. First one comes in from Hopeful99965. Uh, love Tom and his approach. I can tell f- f- the advice is balanced and it comes from a loving place. Yes, this means structure and boundaries plus the cuddles. I like how to raise my, like just like how I raise my young son. I love watching his videos and listen to a ton of his podcasts. My question is, I have a two-year-old rescue, Blue Healer Spaniel Mix. She was basically a street dog, neglected and was forced to fend for herself and her pups. She is the sweetest nugget in the house and quite, a, quite obedient inside. Now, thanks to your guidance, when we go out on walks in neighborhoods, she is reactive to some dogs and randomly to certain people. We can walk by dogs and with a small tap on the leash, she fixes just fine. But if she comes to a stop and sniffing and sees another dog coming, she will lay down on the grass and get her head low and stalking them. She will wait for them and then explode no barking towards them if they get too close. Um, Now that we use the micro prong collar, um, because she's very skinny, uh, I correct her and it usually redirects. Um, my question is, is I've used the word enough when she's barking at people and approach our house and it's worked 50% of the time, but I use leave it for food and toys, which is about 80% obedient. Um, should I stick with leave it for the scenarios? Um, I would say, I would say do whatever your dog responds to and what comes naturally to you, honestly. Um, so She's showing restraint with high value food. Should I train enough out on walks? I again, I would just do. I would honestly, I would just pick one. Um, I don't think that there should be two uh, for a pet dog. I just don't think it's realistic. Maybe if you were like doing obedient or competitive obedience or something, um, that would make more sense. But I would just kind of stick to one thing so your dog knows like this is the command of whatever you're doing. You have to stop doing. So, yeah, that's my answer. Next one, Strassi twenty. Uh, Tom has an amazing way of explaining dog behavior and solutions and issues. He's extremely practical and empathetic, which is so important to struggle, struggling dog owners. Uh, the amount of free content he puts out on here, YouTube and IG are such a gift. My question is my pit Husky mix is very reactive to deer and Fox. And most of the time it's been with their scent he's picking up. It happens in an instant and he's lunging and barking and frantically looking around for the animal. How can I, um, proactively manage when I see where I can't see. Well, I would make sure that if your dog is off leash, then the e-collar is going to be a definitely a life-changing, life-saving thing. Um, I would really make sure that your dog is off leash trained. I just went over to a friend's house that they have a working farm and one of the working dogs, uh, chased a deer and the deer kicked this dog and broke his, her leg in four different places. And now has to be, this is a working healer dog that is now crate ridden for six weeks and a $6,000 surgery in reconstructive. So these things happen all the time and you just want to make sure that, you know, the dogs are, controlled. I mean, cause that, that's, that's the, you got to always think of like when your dog's off leash, worst case scenario happens, what? And if you're prepared to not care about that worst case scenario, then that's, you know, your own thing. But so that's the first thing I would say is if your dog is that primal of like, I smell something, I'm going to chase it. That's deadly. It kills dogs all the time. Um, and then the other thing is, is just like leash control. If your dog is on the leash, just making sure you can work on like a good leave it because you're not going to be able to tell this fish not to swim. Hey, there's an animal don't care about it. That's not going to happen. It's going to be more about you making sure that you can correct the dog when they decide to, you know, lunge and be crazy. Um, anyway, so obedience is big. You're not going to be able to tell your dog not to care, but you can tell your dog not to go after these things and, and, and use obedience to counter. It's a good question. All right. Next one, uh, Catherine Fontaine. 
Such a great dog training advice. Five stars. The Thomas Podcast and YouTube channel are invaluable resource for anyone who wants to better their life with their dog. Following his approach and solid basic training and accountability, I have seen great progress in our two golden retrievers. She is sensitive, but not initially afraid to tell her no, and she's being held accountable. Looking back, I can clearly see that she had no idea what to do and and who is in charge. She seemed anxious and wired all the time. No amount of loving on her could calm her down. After adding structured discipline and meaningful activities in her life, she's a different dog. She relaxes around the house. We finally got rid of those baby gates and I feel a competent dog owner. I just wanted to say thank you. Well, that's amazing. Thank you so much for that review. And again, guys, like even if you don't have a question, it means the world to me to see this stuff that I'm doing absolutely for free. You guys is paying off for you guys. All right, the last one, Shepit Mom, so grateful. Hi, Tom, I wanted to let you know that I'm grateful and I have found your program. I work as a therapist with teens who have behavioral problems and have been humbled in the fact that despite using numerous trainers, I have been able to, I have been unable to help my pup with the anxiety that causes him the guardian issue in the house. We have a long way to go, but I feel like I finally found somebody who gets it. And when you explain what a dog is and thinking when we aren't clear and in control, it allows me to understand what's happening and how to address it. So my two quick questions is, is we adopted Elliot in March in 2021 and he has a little he has a little exposure to people due to COVID, limited exposure to people due to COVID. But in the past six months, he suddenly started becoming reactive when new do- when a new dog would try to engage in group play. He has gone after dogs five different occasions and it's just so stressful for both of us. Um, my question is, is do I return to the park and try to help him adjust? My answer is no. I think that your dog has gotten comfortable and confident and going to the park is not good. If you're seeing a lot of behavioral problems in an area, stop doing it. This isn't something like when you're social. Okay. How do I say this? Social behavior with dogs for the most part is not going to change. They are acting exactly how they feel. They're not acting out of jealousy or protectiveness likely. It's just, I don't want to play. I don't know you. I don't want to play. Um, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my thing is, um, I, I would, um, yeah, I would highly suggest, highly suggest just not putting your dog into those situations, honestly, because that's what's causing the problem. If you can eliminate that problem and you'll be happier, do it. Find a couple dogs that your dog likes, play groups and, you know, do that. I got one more. Rye Man's Mommy, faithful follower for five plus years, five star review. Thank you so much, Tom. I've been watching your YouTube for five years and I just found your podcast and I'm so grateful for your content. Next step is looking at the audit seats in your event and the No Bad Dog course. Question, when you're a multiple dog house hold, bringing home a puppy, how do you train most effectively? Um, separately, making sure that you train this puppy separately is the most important thing. Um, that's what I would say. Get that dog out, have them commingle with the other dogs, but also just make sure that your dog is being trained separately and you're not overwhelming yourself with trying to train all the dogs at the same time. Um, anyway, that's the end of the podcast guys. Thank you so much for listening. As always, I appreciate you. If you want me to answer your dog training questions, go over to the iTunes review chart and leave a review. Thanks guys. Talk to you next time. Bye.